Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Sask Egg Today is brought to you by Future Ford in Melville. Future Ford is your automotive expert. From sales to service, they're the ones you can trust to get you rolling again sooner. Sask Egg Today with Doug Faulkner. Good afternoon and welcome to Sask Ag Today. Coming up on today's program, farm group leaders are not only in charge of their respective organizations, but their producers themselves. We'll hear from a couple of them. The chair of the Saskatchewan Wheat Development Commission, Brett Halstead, who farms in the Nokomis area. And we'll also hear from the vice president of the Canadian Federation of Agriculture, Todd Lewis, who farms near the hamlet of Gray. Also on today's program, the number of Saskatchewan feeder cattle sold at auction last week was down compared to the previous week. Provincial cattle specialist with the Saskatchewan Ministry of Agriculture, Fonda Froats, will be on the program. We'll also hear from Marlena Borsch of Mercantile Consulting Venture, as she has provided her weekly overview of the wheat market, which was issued through the Saskatchewan Wheat Development Commission. All of those stories and much more coming up on today's edition of SaskAg Today. Welcome back to SaskAg Today. Farm group leaders are not only in charge of their respective organizations, but their farmers themselves. The chairperson of the Saskatchewan Wheat Development Commission, Brett Halstead, farms in the Nokomis area, north of Regina. He's halfway through harvest. We got just a little bit of wheat left to do, and then uh, mostly canola left after that, and everything should roll. Uh, obviously, we've been dealing with some high humidity, small rains, and fog some mornings and days, so it's been a slow dry down. But you know, when we get a chance, we make progress the best we can. Crops are probably a little bit surprising to the good this year, although we haven't been into the canola. The wheat has been. Uh, you know, a little above average, and uh, I'm pretty pleased with that considering the limited rain we had this year. For yields, Halstead says they vary. You know, again, a little above average and plenty pleased with them. And, uh, you know, there's some good new wheat varieties out there that are funded by farmers and public varieties, and we're very pleased with how they're turning out. Meanwhile, Vice President of the Canadian Federation of Agriculture, Todd Lewis, farms near the hamlet of Gray, south of Regina. Like Halstead, Lewis is over the halfway point of harvest. We're just finishing up uh, the last of our durum here today, and uh, we've got the lentils in the bin now, too. And and so on our farm, that's, you know, we're getting a little over 50% done. We have uh, a little bit of canary seed to do and then uh, canola after that. So it's uh, we're rolling along pretty good, and really the weather's been uh, pretty good this fall. He says crop yields are average at best. Our Durham, you know, we're uh, we're you know in the mid 50s, I would say, 55 bushel an acre. Uh, lentils were disappointing. Of course, they don't like wet feet, and that hurts in the spring. So, so we're probably uh, you know probably half of our lentil crop were we're in the 20s, I think, something like that, and uh, uh, you know, and then and still to be determined on the canola and so on. 
Lewis summarized the growing year as a weird one. In uh, up until the first uh, 10 days of June, we were actually losing ground to uh, water. We were too wet in a lot of cases, and and uh, the sloughs were, were uh, actually growing as, as we got more rain. And then about, I think it was the 11th or 12th of June, the tap shut off, and then it was dry, like not a drop of water until uh, the third week of August. So we And then uh, after August... Uh, we got a little bit of rain that helped uh, finish off some of the later seeded crops, and and uh, then part of the part of the issue this fall has been just too smoky. It's uh, actually the the heavy wildfire smoke has actually affected the dry down of a lot of the crops. So it's a it's a strange year where you're too wet, too dry, and then too smoky. But uh, coming through this week here, it looks pretty good. The forecast and uh, and uh, I think now we're kind of at the stage now where both of our crop will just be able to go straight through now and just, uh, you know, get, get it off in good time here. Hopefully if the weather continues to cooperate. Lewis explains in more detail how the smoke affected his crop's ability to dry. Well, you know, it was, they, for instance, in our lentil fields, we had, uh, we had uh, desiccated them with Reglone and, and uh, so then you want the crop to dry down and, and uh, you need some hot, sunny weather to do that. And, and uh, we had the hot and and uh, but unfortunately didn't have the sunny and and it, it made a significant difference uh the, the early stuff that we had sprayed out a couple of sunny days and and we were able to get out and get those lentils off but uh the ones that uh got got caught behind the smoke screen we had there for really the better part of last week it, it took quite a while for that crop to to dry down so uh sunshine is important this year the days are getting shorter and, and it really does affect uh the dry down of the crop if we don't have have uh you know sunshine that isn't filtered through the smoke. That's Todd Lewis with the Canadian Federation of Agriculture and before him Brett Halstead with Sasquatch talking about their harvest season. It's time now for the AgReview portion of our program and that's a presentation of New Era Ag Technologies in Swan River. BX94 AgReview Syngenta Canada has announced the registration of Vibrance Total, a new fungicide pulse seed treatment offering what they say is the most comprehensive and advanced level of protection found on the market today. With five modes of action, Vibrance Total provides broad-spectrum disease control, including enhanced protection against ascochyta blight. Vibrance Total is the only pulse seed treatment on the market with a new active ingredient, giving growers highly effective protection against 13 different Pythium species found in western Canadian soils. Pythium is a serious pulse root pathogen infecting the seeds and seedlings before emergence, threatening up to 50% of plant stand. In seeds and seedlings, Pythium infections can result in plant death prior to seed germination and seedling death after emergence. Vibrance Total will be available for the 2024 growing season. Ahead of the Model-Based Statistics Canada production report due out on Thursday, Scott Shields of Grain Millers Canada in Yorkton says it's likely the agency's numbers for oats will increase. StatScan issued its first Model-Based production report for 2023-24 on August 29th, which placed the country's oats at about 2.429 million metric tons. While the first report estimated the crops as of July 31st, the second report will take them as of August 31st. 
He suggests the agency's previous estimate for harvested acres at 828,800 is likely a little high. Also, any increase in production would still produce a crop well short of last year's 5.227 million metric tons. StatsCan last Friday issued a stocks report which placed oat ending stocks for 2022-23 at 1.275 million metric tons, far more than the 333,000 the year prior and above the five-year average of 518,000. Nova Scotia farmers who aren't in on agri-stability for 2023 and whose operations were hit hard by weather events this spring and or summer now have until the end of next year to enroll. The Nova Scotia and federal governments have announced enrollment for the Ag Income Stabilization Program, which ended on April 30th, has now been reopened for late participation until December 31st, 2024, for the 2023 program year. Late participation in agri-stability is offered only in a program year in which a given province or territory's producers experience a significant agricultural disaster, either sector-wide or province-wide. This spring, over 61,000 acres were burned in wildfires across Nova Scotia from April into June. The province then reported periods of heavy rainfall and record-level heat during the summer, including storms on the weekend of July 21st that caused severe flash flooding, which killed four people and led to estimated damages of over $170 million on insured property and infrastructure alone. Ukraine has warned it could seek international arbitration over restrictions on its grain exports, after Poland said it would continue to block domestic imports of Ukrainian grain, even if Brussels lifts a ban. Restrictions imposed by the European Union in May allowed Poland, Bulgaria, Hungary, Romania and Slovakia to ban domestic sales of Ukrainian wheat, maize, rapeseed and sunflower seeds, while permitting transit of such cargoes for export elsewhere. The restrictions designed to ease excess supply are due to expire on Friday. Poland, which holds a parliamentary election on October 15th and says cheaper Ukrainian grain makes domestic production unprofitable, has said it will not lift its ban even if the EU does not extend the arrangement this week. The five Central European countries want the EU ban extended at least until the end of the year. Lab-grown meat can be labeled kosher and halal as long as its cells are derived in methods compliant with religious standards. That's according to two panels of experts commissioned by the nascent industry. The opinions are a win for cell-cultivated meat companies because it means observant followers of Judaism and Islam could one day consume their products. Cultivated meat is currently only sold in tiny quantities in the United States and Singapore, but companies hope private and public investors will infuse the sector with enough cash to scale production and alter diets around the world. And be sure to listen to the latest Saskag Today podcast. It's brought to you by Future Ford in Melville. Please stay tuned. Saskag Today will return right after these messages. 
Future Ford has been serving the Melville area for over 30 years. They focus on the future. Their staff are ready for what's to come. Ford Tech is changing all the time with new vehicle technology like EV, self-driving, and more. Get ready to drive into the future. Why? Because the future is Future Ford. Welcome back to SaskAg Today. I'm Doug Falconer. It's sunny and 17 degrees in the Yorkton-Melville region. I'll have your complete weather details coming up at the top of the hour. The number of Saskatchewan feeder cattle sold at auction last week was down compared to the previous week. That's according to the latest cattle market update issued by Canfax. Provincial cattle specialist with the Saskatchewan Ministry of Agriculture, Fonda Froats, has the details. Feeder cattle prices continued mixed but strong for the week ending September 8th. Feeder steers ranged from 482.67 for the 3 to 400 pound steers to 314.50 for the 900 plus weight category this week. The largest price increase was seen in the heaviest steers weighing 900 plus pounds with prices improving 11.50 per hundredweight over the previous week. The largest decline was in the 4 to 500 pound category, down an average of $13 per hundredweight with prices still ranging between 4.32 to 4.88 and averaging at 4.47 per hundredweight for the week. And as for heifers, prices for Saskatchewan feeders he- feeder heifers range from 381.50 per hundredweight for the 3 to 400 pound category to 296.50 for the 800 plus pound category. The largest increase was seen in the 5 to 600 weight heifers this week with prices improving 512 per hundred weight to end the week averaging 339. The largest week over week decline was in the 4 to 500 pound heifers which dropped an average of 1633 per hundred weight and averaged 371 for the week. She lists the factors affecting the feeder markets. The combination of lower feed grain prices and the 2024 live cattle contracts were setting new highs last week, so these supported the calf and feeder markets. Froats goes into the marketings in Saskatchewan. Yeah, the volume of Saskatchewan feeder cattle sold at auction decreased last week, but this also included the Labor Day holiday. Canfax reported 4,655 heads sold over the week, uh, compared to 6,288 the week prior. And as for market-ready cattle prices... Alberta-fed steers averaged 232.19 per hundredweight for the week ending September 8th, which is up 43 cents from the last week's price of 231.76 per hundredweight. Alberta cow prices reported on September 8th were down week over week. D2 cows decreased on average 4.43 per hundredweight to average 1.43.50 per hundredweight for the week. D3 cows were also down 3.26 per hundredweight over the week and ended the week uh, at an average of 129.17 per hundredweight. That's Fonda Froats. She's the Provincial Cattle Specialist with the Saskatchewan Ministry of Agriculture. Livestock Market Conditions U.S. live cattle futures for October closed at 184.15 today. That's down 7. December live cattle closed at 188.45, up 17. October feeder cattle closed at 261.25, down 20. November feeder cattle closed at 262.90, up 15. 
October lean hogs closed at 85.27, up 272. December lean hogs closed at 76.90, up 225. And that's the livestock market conditions. Marlena Borsch of Mercantile Consulting Venture has provided her weekly overview of the wheat market. It was issued through the Saskatchewan Wheat Development Commission. For wheat prices in North America firmed a little, while prices in Europe generally weakened, led by Russian wheat. Canadian wheat is about 60% harvested with disappointing yields, but this has had little effect on international values. And there's general concern about more Russian volume sales at discounted prices and what it would mean to open demand. In terms of cash trades last week, well, there still is not a lot of activity. Russian 11.5% protein milling wheat was reportedly sold to Bangladesh last Thursday. This was for October shipment and 280 US CFR. We do wonder if the volume was as high as the reported 700,000 tons. Thailand bought 88,000 tons of November through December US wheat. Korea bought 57,000 tons of feed wheat for October through November at 272.75 per ton. South Korean millers bought 88,000 tons of US milling wheat. And the USDA reported a total of 370,000 tons of US wheat sold for export during the week. That was near the end or near the low end of the expected range of sales. There's still no sign or confirmation of Indian purchases of Russian wheat. So now we'll have a look at the week's events by major origin and as usual we start with Canada. As mentioned, about 60% of Saskatchewan spring wheat is now in the bins, while 36% of Alberta spring wheat is harvested. The average yield assessment for Saskatchewan came in at 42 bushel per acre, that's the SASCAG assessment, and we have been using 43 bushel per acre, slightly higher. Alberta agriculture assessed wheat yields at only 39.7 bushel per acre. We continue to use roughly a 23.5 million production number, which is higher than what Statscan is using so far. In the US, more than 80% of the hard red spring crop is now harvested, with South Dakota 97% complete, Minnesota and Montana 85%, and North Dakota 65% complete. Overall, average wheat yields are expected in the US and no major harvest or quality issues have been reported thus far. Regarding the Canadian wheat carry-in, in the July 31 stocks report last Friday, StatScan showed 3.6 million tons of wheat stocks for all wheat, 3.2 million tons for wheat excluding Durham. This was lower than any of the trade's pre-report estimates. For comparison, the 2022 ending stocks were at 3.1 million tons, very similar. And according to StatScan's July export numbers, Canada exported 1.7 million tons of wheat, with 323,000 tons going to China, 308,000 to Indonesia, and 159,000 to Peru. Japan, one of our premium traditional buyers, bought another 129,000 in July. Other buyers were the US 
and Bangladesh. Total 22-23 crop wheat exports, excluding Durham, added to 20.4 million tons. Last year we shipped 12 million tons. Moving to Durham, we would say that Durham is about 80% harvested by now. The Saskatchewan Agriculture Yield Assessment for Durham was at a low 23 bushel per acre average, with the worst yields in the southwest at only 17 bushel per acre average. We are using a somewhat higher 25.3 bushel average yield for Saskatchewan. The verdict on overall quality is not out yet, but we are hearing there are problems with test weight. We have repeatedly discussed our production numbers, so there's not much to add until the final numbers are coming out. In the U.S., about 85% of the Durham crop is now harvested in Montana and about 50% in North Dakota. Reps report good quality and color with average to slightly below average yields. Regarding the carry-in in Canada, the StatScan Durham stocks were reported at a relatively small 396,000 tons. That was well below the pre-report trade estimates as well. In comparison, last year's stocks were at 569,000 tons. The StatScan July export numbers for Durham listed 170,000 tons of Durham exports for the month with 52,000 going to Morocco and 23,000 to Algeria. We expect Durham prices to improve once the harvest pressure from Turkey and the Black Sea exporters pass, and when additional good quality Durham is needed in the EU and potentially North Africa over the winter. Moving to the United States, the commitment of traders report indicates that funds added to the net short positions for the wheat complex and also to corn. The US dollar continues to strengthen with the dollar index now at six month highs, which is negative for exports. USDA reported 370,000 tons of wheat sold last week. That was near the low end of the expected range. Australian wheat futures had the highest weekly close since November 22 amidst a declining crop outlook, a dry forecast, and a 10-month low in the Australian dollar. In Argentina, crop ratings were left unchanged at 18% good to excellent for wheat, still well below average, but around the same as last season at this time. The Buenos Aires Grain Exchange estimated the wheat crop at 16.5 million tons, well above last year's 12.2 million but it's well below the USDA's current estimate of 17.5 million tons. Moving to the EU, last week Matif wheat was firm and supported by a weak euro. EU export shipments remain slow, in fact they're down 32% on last year, and there's little additional visible demand at hand. Regarding the Black Sea, Last Wednesday, Russia announced plans to sell 1 million tons of wheat to African countries at discounted prices. Turkey has agreed to handle the exports on behalf of Russia with financing from Qatar. We worry about more volume Russian sales at discounted prices. So how would we summarize the week? Well, the focus of the market over the next couple of days will be on the USDA WASDE report. The seasonal tendencies for wheat prices are to rise into the winter and the anticipation of reduced southern hemisphere and Canadian pulses 
are also the main bullish motives coming into the in the coming weeks. The counter arguments are that there is a, this is already priced in with a large carry in the cash and futures markets. We are worried about the continued aggressiveness by Russia into the export markets, despite reports of problems with the spring wheat crop. Russia is taking up a lot of import capacity. We still expect markets to move higher in the new year, but wonder from what level. The wheat market remains very complicated, but we expect it to move higher in the new year, so storage remains important. That's Marlena Borsch of Mercantile Consulting Venture in Winnipeg. Please stay tuned. I'll have your commodities update coming up in two minutes' time. Commodities Update. Canola futures closed down across the board again today. November canola closed at 752.30, down $15.30. January canola closed at 761.10, down $15 per metric ton. December Minneapolis wheat closed at 779 per bushel, up 12 and a quarter cents. December Kansas City wheat closed at 7.30 and three quarters, up 7 cents. December Chicago wheat closed at 5.87 and a half, up 3 cents. December corn closed at 4.76 and a half, down 9 and a quarter cents. November soybeans closed at 13.46 and a half, down 22 and a half cents. December oats closed at 4.95 and a half, up two and a quarter cents. And that's the commodities update. Welcome back to Saskang today. I'm Doug Falconer. It's becoming more common for producers to take saline land out of crop production and convert it into forage crops. Saskagtoday.com's chief agricultural editor, Kevin Hirsch, spoke to Blake Wyseth, the applied research lead at the Discovery Farm near Langham, about this issue at Ag in Motion this summer. And really it started for us in 2019. We were at our Discovery Farm site here growing canola and we just observed very poor growth in that season. A lot of kochia pressure and we just thought, you know, maybe we should do something different. So we did look at perennial forages and in this trial, it's a two acre project uh, working with Ducks Unlimited Canada Proven Seed. We're looking at Halo 2 alfalfa, AC Saltlander, Slender Wheatgrass, and then a mix of species called Saline Master. And, and I guess really what I would say is patience is key because the story that I like to tell we seeded that in spring of 2020 we were fortunate got a nice rain after we were seeding seemed like pretty good catch but even by the late summer the fall seeing those kochia coming up above the forage and you start asking did I do something wrong did I you know is this a write-off should we just till it under talking with some experts they said no 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 just give it time wait and you know we mowed that out and then sure enough by the next spring that's when you see that those forages come up and start competing against those weeds and halo alfalfa has a good salt tolerance yeah i mean i guess i could say even so far in what we're seeing at this trial i would see it's comparable to some of the other varieties that we're testing the uh, ac salt lander or that saline master blend very com comparable yields so how long did you do before you got uh, quantifiable 
production off of that? In, in two or three years, were you taking some bales off that? Yeah, even by the second uh, the second growing season, we were able to harvest some uh, bales off that space. So again, I think that's that's the point about the patient side of things. I mean, if you can be willing to wait through that first season of probably limited production, but even into that second year, and that was even you know in the midst of not uh, of of drought conditions. You know, we weren't seeing excessive moisture or anything like that. So did you break up or, or kill that land or did you direct seed? How did, how did you make the establishment happen with that? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, so we uh, did a, a pre-seeding tillage uh, operation and then just seeded it with a, uh, a brilliant style seeder. So it's kind of a broadcast almost system that, you know, in, uh, injects it, if you will, just, you know, half an inch into the ground, but it wasn't, uh, you know, seeded with shanks or injected in that way. Um, so yeah that seemed to work out and and of course we were lucky as i mentioned we did get a nice rain so i guess that's the other recommendation i would say i mean especially if you're doing that sort of broadcast uh seeding operation it is nice if you can get that rain to just promote that establishment is there some uh, support through ducks unlimited for this sort of approach absolutely yeah like i say even on the technical side of things we've been fortunate to to work with ducks unlimited but they do have programming options available through i believe it's called their marginal areas program uh where farmers can uh, participate and and if they're willing to enter into multi-year agreements uh, to maintain that that stand there is some compensation available to them I believe and I guess it's always easier for a producer if this is on a field margin or an area that's easily dividable off from a field but it becomes more of a judgment call if it's out in the center of a field and wondering is it is it worth doing that and, and creating a bunch of uh, uh, extra churning for the, the the land that isn't converted certainly I think and again and that's where sort of the uh, the logistics kind of needs to come into the consideration. I think also too, it's about what's your end use of that forage. You know, do you have your own livestock? Of course, do you have the ability to partner with uh, with one of your neighbors that can make use of that, uh, or are you just deciding? You know what? I'm just going to leave that as a perennial forage stand. I'm not uh, planning on harvesting any profit off that space, but maybe I'm willing to sacrifice that if it means that we're managing those saline soils perhaps we're preventing the problem from getting worse you know these are considerations at the farm level that need to be made and you aren't wasting inputs trying to grow an annual crop that isn't growing bingo and I think that's exactly what we saw in, in 2019 where where really we were losing money on those areas of the field uh, trying to grow canola uh, that the the revenue didn't uh, equal the the costs Blake Wyseth is the applied research lead at the discovery farm near Langham. And just remember, SaskAg Today is always available on podcast. Listen to past shows whenever you want. Find them easily by going to gx94radio.com. Also, you can hear the podcast on your Amazon Echo. Just enable the GX94 skill and choose SaskAg Today. And yes, it is free. It's now 1 o'clock in Saskatchewan, 2 o'clock in Manitoba. Time to check the GX94 precision weather forecast for the Quill Lakes, Hudson Bay, Swan River, Broadview, Mooseman, Indian Head, and Yorkton, Melville, Roblin, Russell regions today. Mainly sunny, winds south-southeast at 20 to 35, and a high of 21 degrees. For tonight, partly cloudy, winds south-southeast at 15 to 25, a low of 11. 
Tomorrow, partly sunny during the day with a 30% chance of evening scattered showers. Winds south-southwest at 15 to 25, a high of 24 with an overnight low of 11. For Thursday, partly sunny with a 30% chance of isolated morning showers. Winds west-northwest at 20 to 35 and a high of 19. For Friday, partly sunny, a high of 19. And Saturday, partly cloudy, also a high of 19. In the Paw, it's 17 degrees. Swan River is at 19. Dauphin and Roblin, 16. Brandon, Show Lake Russell, 15. Regina and Winyard Wadena Kelvington reporting in at 19. Saskatoon, 23. Hudson Bay, Broadview, Mooseman, 17. Indian Head, 20. The Yorkton-Melville region has a sunny sky, a south-southeast wind at 26, gusting to 41 kilometers an hour. 53% is the relative humidity. The temperature is 17 degrees. That's your agriculture weather, and that'll do it for Saskag today for today. Be sure to tune in again tomorrow at 12.15 Saskatchewan time for another edition of the program. It's time now for the news and sports headlines. Saskag Today has been brought to you by Future Ford in Melville. Future Ford is your automotive expert. From sales to service, they're the ones you can trust to get you rolling again sooner.